So I do want to talk about dragons, and I want to talk about dragons because um, a very famous game is called Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a very famous game. <laughs> Which one? Hello, and welcome to Dungeon Chatter. This is Travis. This is Victoria. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, B. B is for Blood of Heroes, and uh, Blood of Heroes is the setting for the RPG that we are developing. I thought a good way to start is by just to give an introduction to what we're doing in the podcast, and then get you caught up on to uh, what we're working on for this week. And so the general idea is that um, uh, Dungeon Chatter, the idea is that we're going to sort of put the emphasis back on the talking aspect of RPGs and see how much of an RPG we can talk through um, without having to roll dice if you don't want to do that. And a cool thing that we're doing in the podcast is that we're actually, as we go through and look at different aspects of RPG uh, play and design, we're actually designing and tweaking our own role-playing game. And this week we get to talk about Blood of Heroes, which is the fantasy setting for our um, RPG. That's the general idea. Yep, good idea. Good, <laughs> good, good so far. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we thought we would do is talk about um, systems. And really this is a podcast about, not, not about the systems as much as it is about the settings, but maybe we'll talk through some of the, when I say systems, I mean some RPGs. Uh, and so we'll talk through some of the systems that we are pretty familiar with, and maybe we'll talk about some of the things that we like and some of the things that we don't like, or some of the things that we work, we think work, uh, or we think don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe we'll start off with um, well, so, some systems that I think work really well, uh, and I think that those, and, yeah, and those are uh, Middle Earth role playing and Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and so what those things have in common uh, is an immediate appeal, and um, and not just that, right? So when when you talk about oh, I'm playing a Middle Earth role playing game. Since the films came out, everybody knows what that is. But even before, there were a lot of people who would have known. Um, so it's not just the familiarity. It's the tremendous amount of detail uh, that both of these worlds have. And I yeah. think maybe Frank Herbert's Dune is another one that even if you're l- uh, less familiar with that world, um, once you start to look into it, you'll see there's just this tremendous amount of depth. Maybe Harry Potter, too? Harry, well, yeah. It's got a lot of depth, but it... And less from, I think, the original creator. And I think that that's what Star Wars and um, Lord of the Rings has, is that the they were more like developing the world, and then here's a story from that world. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people really enjoy that, that it was the world building first and the story kind of second. And that's kind of why the story feels so complete. Yeah. And I think Harry Potter, it was the story first, and then a lot of the world building was attached on later with uh, when people started having questions and wanting to know more about the world. Um, and you may be hearing some fireworks. Fourth <laughs> of July. Fourth of July. Our dog, our dog might bark. It's going to be a, a little rough. We'll, we'll try to to uh, edit out the worst of it. Um, okay, so those are the the settings that we think are most successful, and it's because of that depth. Um, so you can't just or I suppose you could, you could just start and spend hundreds of hours uh, world building, mm-hmm. um, or you could sort of start to develop, uh, develop an interesting hook and then build kind of piece by piece and do as much of the world as you need to as you go. I think that that one really depends on 
which comes first because I think for both Star Wars and Lord of the Rings it was less they were trying to get it out there and more hey this is the world that I've been thinking of for years and years I think both of them had those worlds in mind before mm -hmm. they even wanted to monopolize monetize on that <laughs> monopolize well I mean yeah I mean yeah. both of them did really set a, a monopoly but um, so that one it just depends on where you're starting first yeah that might be true mm -hmm. you might be right there um, and so um, maybe we'll talk a little bit in a little bit of detail about um, so two of the popular fantasy worlds and one of them is Faerun and that's the world that uh, I'm familiar with from AD&D so it's Dungeons and Dragons um, second edition at least um, and uh, so apparently it's third and fifth as well. Yeah. I've yeah. or at least I've heard of it. I don't know if it's yeah. the main one, but it's a world you can. Yeah, use. And, <laughs> and the fact that we don't know uh, might say something about um, how highly we think of that <laughs> world. <laughs> um, it was always an interesting world, and there were always more um, compendia coming out. So there were more there were expansions like check out this city. Like here's here's Waterdeep. Mm -hmm. um, a, a town with a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it was the writing or if it was um, the derivativeness of it, and derivativeness of is something we're going to have to talk about here. Mm -hmm. um, that just felt like a lot, all right? So not an expansive world, just a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It yeah. didn't feel... Like, I honestly, like, sometimes you would just make cities up and it felt just as unique or, you know, immersive as... The stuff that came from the book and the book i think was a little more tough because then you would have to be like looking up like the maps and the cities and mm -hmm. what was in the city and stuff as opposed to when you came up with the tallahassee um i mean you kind of just knew what was in the town already because you had come up with it on your own so sure. yeah this is right i i think there are, is you know there are advantages to doing things that um you are personally really familiar with as opposed to going out and trying to learn another world. Now, if the world's really fascinating, like I think Middle Earth is, and like mm -hmm. I think um, the Star Wars world is, yeah. um, I think the Dune world is, maybe the Harry Potter world is too. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I think the rules of Harry Potter are pretty interesting. I don't, yeah. I don't know any of the places, because it's basically just UK, yeah. and then the rest of it's a little sketch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... The level of familiarity that you have might actually sort of trump a, a well-designed world. So if you, if it's yeah. not a, an amazing world that you designed, but you know it very well and you can kind of seamlessly have the party interact with it, uh, that seems like it's really desirable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Faroon is the world, um, yeah, of Forgotten Realms, uh, and this is a world in which, I mean, there have been a tremendous number of campaigns played over the years. World, right? I mean. Uh, and it and it's definitely one of the inspirations for playing games for me at least, um, and definitely for designing worlds um, as well. Uh, we have a, a bunch of well, we have swords and sorcery, mm -hmm. we have dragons, we have non-humans, mm -hmm. um, we have magic, of course, right? I guess that's sword and sorcery. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the things that I find a lot of people have a problem with, and I have a bit of an issue with it, is um, the Pantheon, right? So when the gods get involved um, and they started doing bizarre things, like there was this uh, time known as the Time of Troubles when weird stuff was happening with the gods. Like they were essentially walking around on the earth and, well, on Forgotten Realms and, and mm -hmm. doing stuff. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I mean, it, it, that's sort of 
tremendously limiting to what you can do. I mean, either your party is interacting with these things or they're not. And if they're not interacting, then they're not really doing anything because yeah. I presume the gods are doing more. Uh -huh. um, and if they are interacting, then it's just the, the story is now about the gods. Mm -hmm. um, and one of our guides in our guides, I think I said gods, one of our guides, right, is uh, in, in role-playing design is that we don't want, uh, we don't want to do stuff if it's not fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the, the move toward the gods struck a lot of people, I think, as tremendously unfun. Yeah. So, um, okay. But in addition to that, there's a Middle Earth role playing. And so we know the land of Middle Earth pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're going to talk about things that are memorable, uh, for me, I mean, those are some of the most memorable uh, games I've ever played. Uh, just, um, I think I, last week I told the story of uh, breaking into. Um, Daryuj's room while he was sleeping and attacking him <laughs> and that was in Middle Earth and it was uh, and the sword that I picked up uh, in the in using to attack him mm -hmm. was a sword that I found uh, we were in Bree or just outside Bree we we're in the Barrows and um, we were fighting some undead and that was one of the coolest adventures I can remember and it was in part I think because we knew about that stuff from watching the even the the old animated the Hobbit. Hobbit. The original Hobbit was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that world, right? So just having those visuals and having the even the songs, right? So having yeah. some of the songs come to life was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And it added a kind of um, depth to the setting. Yeah. Uh, so those are my thoughts for now. So Faroon and Merp, um, I mean, both influential in that they're these sword and sorcery settings. Uh, but... Merp with that extra level of authenticity and coolness to it. So um, what's a setting that uh, you want to talk about um, or any reactions? Are we sticking specifically to fantasy now? Or I mean, I mean, you've mentioned Star Wars, but I feel like it is a little more about the, the fantasy, the sword and sorcery stuff. So Yeah, Blood of Heroes is, a, is the, our fantasy or our sword and sorcery setting. Um, and so uh, when we get to the section known as hack and slash, where at the end we kind of come up with some potential pitfalls and criticisms uh, problems that that our system that we're developing might run into uh, we should definitely talk about uh, some others yes yeah, some others uh, so I mean and in, in, in this section I don't really know that I have anything because I, I haven't you know uh, consumed tons and tons of fantasy specific settings um, yet or not really even have a, a desire to I mean I've like surface level interested in Lord of the Rings I watched the movies I haven't read the books I haven't you know looked into the world very much um, so I don't know that I can talk a whole lot about the the fantasy setting more in depth than you know most people would know about already um, nor do I have any like crazy stories I mean I played Skyrim but right. to be honest fantasy settings it's hard to find ones that don't feel derivative mm -hmm. anymore because they've been so done and there's only so much that you can do that still feels interesting um, and is still what people want from a fantasy setting because people have pretty clear definitions of what they think. Like most people will think dragons immediately, even though mm -hmm. in our campaign you're pretty um, not uh, you hesitant and um, remorse to include dragons. Uh, it's just not what interests you. But that's like we had three party members who deliberately wanted a dragon like they interrupted the current story of the campaign to be like right you want to go fight a dragon so right well yeah so maybe i should say something uh, about 
dragons, right? Mm -hmm. um, be, so before we get into um, maybe saying a little bit more about some of the, the stories, I, I do want to talk about authenticity, but you know we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, at this point, I want to talk about swords and sorcery, right? So um, when I think of fantasy, I think of swords and sorcery. And uh, what that does, that idea of swords and sorcery, is establishes uh, these two components, I think. So on one hand, it's the sword piece. Um, and the sword piece uh, tells us about the level of technology. Uh, and so if you are using a sword and you're facing people who have, I don't know, a club and a grass skirt, that's not going to work. Um, and it also means that if you have a sword and the people you're facing have nuclear weapons and assault rifles and power armor, mm -hmm. and that's not going to work either. <laughs> Unless it's Fallout and then you can punch a bear, basically. Bethesda is a True. little broken that way. <laughs> True. Um, and, you know, if you want to play that game, that's fine. Uh, that's just not this setting. Uh, mm -hmm. But you can always uh, come up with the house rules, homebrew, and we'll talk about that in, you know, a the later next episode. couple months or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the level of technology. Um, in second edition, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, toward the end, I remember that they were introduced um, some firearms. And those firearms... Uh, yeah, they sort of, uh, Im they might imbalance the game, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's not really something that I want to go for in the fantasy setting. And if you think about Middle-earth role-playing, what would Middle-earth role-playing have been with, or what would Middle-earth have been if, you know, um, Legolas, been guns. Yeah. <laughs> Legolas I mean, was a sniper with a rifle? To be honest, I could totally, <laughs> like, I'd love to see, like, a spinoff where sure. it is sort of that, that late, 1500s, 1600s, 1700s with the development, but that's sure. just me personally, and the I, the story itself would not be the same. Right, and totally mm -hmm. cool setting, mm -hmm. just not fantasy, exactly, yeah. right? Not 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 that kind of high typical fantasy. Fantasy. high fantasy, right? <laughs> um, and so, uh, but what another thing that the sword and sorcery idea tells us is about um, just this approach to combat, right? So on one hand, this gritty hand-to-hand -hand, uh, melee uh, feel of swords slashing against uh, swords and on the other hand this idea of sorcery right so someone wearing some robes standing in the back of the party yeah <laughs> launching in some spells and the idea that both of those can be effective ways of getting the job done mm -hmm. um that's the world right? so i think that's pretty cool and, i do think so and in a fantasy world note that Right? That's not everybody. Like, not everybody is a sword or a sorcerer. There are a lot of background characters. Uh, background from the point of view of the fantasy mythos, right? Or the, the, the kind of, uh, I don't know what you want to say, the world spirit, right? So um, those, those are just people who, uh, the stories are not typically about those people unless they're a sword or a sorcerer. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting to think of like D and D specifically tells you, like if you're an adventurer, you're not mm -hmm. the common person, and you think about like how much gold you can make with one adventure, like one, oh, right. yeah, um, and think about like they'll even say like this is way more than the average person you'll run into will see in their lifetime. And I think that's an interesting part of D and D is sure. laying that out, but I think that a lot of people will play and not think about that as much, mm -hmm. um, at least that I've seen. Like they don't seem to realize that. They're not average people, and they're not supposed supposed to be average people. Right. And by the way, as we say all this, we're not saying that there's anything wrong uh, yeah. with, or even not fun about playing a game in which you are a normal person. Yeah. I actually think that can be really cool. I that's think just, so, too. Um, that's not the, the kind of bread and butter of a sword and sorcery, high fantasy type game. Yeah. yeah. Specifically with high fantasy, I think that most people would be pretty bored 
uh, with the the like average life as it yeah. should have been air quotes there because mm-hmm. there's high, it's high fantasy. There's a bit of a debate on you know what is average or whatever with sure. high fantasy. Yeah, and maybe um, the one adventure would be um, plow your fields for 17 hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and you literally play that out every single second of those 17 hours. And like three months later, like you you maybe, you're, you're level two now. You made it. Uh, and now you just harvest so much faster. Yeah. People are like, whoa, look at him go. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay, so swords and sorcery uh, as, as this sort of um, heroic type character. Remember, this is called um, Blood of Heroes, right? So this is a world where the stories are going to be built on uh, literally, right? So the, the hero is putting their lives on the line. If they're, if they're not doing that, uh, then that's not really what this setting is about. The setting is designed for that. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, dragons then. Yeah, that seems to be uh, what most people, or at least some people, it's like probably the first thing I think of when they think fantasy is dragons. I don't have a particularly good explanation of why why I like what my views are about dragons, except that um, they're so tremendously powerful that it doesn't make sense for uh, people to encounter them all over the place. Because yeah. they're so just so ridiculously huge and powerful um, that they should be able to destroy even groups of. Yeah, if if there's heroes. enough for like every party, like conceivably, if you were to think about how many like adventures. Your even just your campaign might run into, and if every single one of them had fought a dragon, there'd be so many dragons that, like, the whole, why not, you know, the whole world just overrun by dragons. For what it's worth, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons on and off for, like, 30-ish years, and I think my parties have fought mm, three dragons, maybe, uh, and I know... Other people who, when they play Dungeons and Dragons, their second level characters have somehow slaughtered dragons and are all wearing dragon mail, and and they're also half dragons and things like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of our thoughts is just about the frequency of dragons; they can't be all over. Um, but the other thing is just about the the power level of the dragon is so preposterous, and the size of the dragon is so preposterous uh, that if there are many of them, they they simply take over the world, and then it's it's not Dungeons and Dragons, it's dragons and more dragons. <laughs> dragons and dragons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to mention that, um, at least with some of the stories I've seen, there's a lot of delineation mm-hmm. uh, between, like, young dragons, and sure. there would be more young dragons, and there would be adult dragons, and there's elder dragons, and there's ancient dragons, mm-hmm. and... I think most people will think of the ancient dragon, and that's what they want to fight. But I do think it's kind of interesting that, hey, there might be enough, you know, young dragons for level two characters that they might conceivably, with a party of, like, five or six, be able to take down. So some people make it work, and, like, some people actually put thought into, like, dragons and how their party can conceivably fight a dragon Mm -hmm. at the level they're at. Right. Um, I think that's probably right. Mm -hmm. Um you're thinking about depictions of dragons it's it's also i mean in my view it's a little hard to make dragons i mean they're cool yeah in the concept but it's a little difficult to pull off sometimes uh so was smaug really yeah. cool in lord uh what uh, lord of the rings the and, hobbits yeah Hobbit. yeah right the hobbit right um mm-hmm. was he very cool well not particularly his no. voice was cool i mean <laughs> debatable sometimes but yeah 
um, and maybe um, in Game of Thrones, uh, uh, at least a sympathetic and interesting depiction of dragons. Yeah, because uh, it's but, yeah, it's a different sort of. It's not about the dragon so much as it is the person in that sense. They're just sort of like a an interesting character with some history. Yeah. Right. Um, so not a, not at all opposed to having dragons in the world. Mm -hmm. it's just that we have to be sensible about their role. Um, and so I'm going to say that uh, dragons will will exist, uh, but their interference in the world will be brief, infrequent, and really powerful when it happens. Yeah. Uh, so your brand new party um, probably doesn't just go and kill a couple dragons. Doesn't go looking for dragons, especially like exactly. that's that's a foolish errand to to go deliberately take on yourself um, at a, a second level. Like you've been adventuring for a month and you're like. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go find it. Yeah, uh, yeah and um, that's something that I think uh, Lord of the Rings does well. Um, mm. So in the stories, uh, in the Tolkien stories, yeah. um, dragons are that's just not a thing you go looking for. I'm a big fan of The Hobbit, especially because yeah. he is a reluctant hero throughout almost the entire story. Like mm -hmm. he, he doesn't want it. I don't think ever. I don't think he, even by the end of it, he's like accepting and likes the people, but mm -hmm. he never wanted the adventure itself, which I think is a really interesting aspect of The Hobbit and mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings. There's a bunch of that in Lord of the Rings, too. Sure. Totally on board. Mm -hmm. um, so um, non-humans, non-humans um, as player characters, um, mm -hmm. there are definitely going to be elves and dwarves in my world uh, because I love elves. And <laughs> <laughs> I like dwarves. <laughs> Uh, can't have elves without dwarves, or, or at least there, there are, it's kind of like I think cats and dogs, right? So there are elf people and dwarf people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and elf people uh, really appreciate them in a setting, and dwarf people really appreciate the dwarves in a setting. Um, and so they're going to be there. Um, maybe what we'll do is uh, they'll retain some of their stereotypical characteristics, like the um, agility and artistic abilities of the elves. And maybe the, um, I don't know, steadfastness and practicality of the dwarves. Maybe we'll leave some uh, racial tropes out. Uh, I mean, we'll I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, uh, but you know, we do have these fairly standard depictions of elves and dwarves. And they've almost become, yeah, a thing that everybody understands now. Mm -hmm. um, this game also features uh, sort of parallel, I guess, on the opposite side uh, to elves and dwarves. Um, the orcs and trolls. Uh, and so this is something that, um, well, again, Tolkien does, uh, but it was done. It was done in um, Dungeons and Dragons too. So in Second Edition, for instance, there are orcs and trolls. Uh, and so uh, my thought is that these are creatures that will tend to will tend toward less intelligence and will tend to be uh, toward being more barbaric. I'm not so sure about the uh, just the idea that. Uh, humans are more or less good, and orcs and trolls are more or less evil. Um, that's probably a way simplified way of thinking about um, alignment. Uh, yeah. So in D&D, &D, um, this characteristic of alignment essentially tells you what your moral compass is, and you're either good, neutral, or evil, and you either sort of respect laws, don't respect laws, or are neutral about them. Yeah. Um, and probably a, a, a gross oversimplification, maybe not even particularly useful, uh, maybe I don't know, but it's something we'll talk about in more yeah. detail in a future podcast. I know D and D specifically was built to be human centric, so it was the the morals based on a human perception, um, and I think that that's why orcs tend to be the evil or the bad characters, is because even though they're just orc centric, they're mm -hmm. you know that conflicts with human 
um, life and human living and stuff like that. So yeah. I think that that's a bit of why it's oversimplified like that. Yeah, at least in the case of Tolkien, there was a kind of story about um, why orcs and trolls were the way that they are. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really sympathetic to the idea that they were somehow a construct uh, that is serving rather than being just evil. Um, and if you think about human history and think about people serving various leaders, they've absolutely done awful stuff in the service of um, corrupt leaders or uh, maybe even somewhat noble values sometimes, right? So um, I don't know that we have to posit this awesome good force and this awesome evil force and have them play out in the world. Um, you don't have to do that in order to get some of that us versus them uh, or at least goal-oriented action, which I take is what players want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and I've got one more, um, what I'm going to call like a binary opposite that's going to play out in this game. And it's something that we're going to have to talk about in much more detail, but much later on because it's very difficult to do. Um, and it's magic. Uh, and so one of the challenges is to make magic interesting and cool mm -hmm. without making it insanely overpowerful or without coming up with rules that, I mean, multiply the difficulty of the game a million fold. Yeah, make it less fun for some people or um yeah make it so that you have to like look up every single aspect of every single spell before you can even you know attempt something that um, like simply uh, accomplishes something sure yeah i'm with you there mm -hmm. um and so there are uh as, as i said magic has a kind of binary opposite component in this game um and there's a sort of uh well ritual magic and uh blood magic or something like that maybe divine magic and demonic magic. So there will be a kind of positive magic and a negative magic. Um, but all that this means, it's, it's a, just a question of where the magic gets its power, um, or, yeah, the source of the magical power. Um, and for this divine stuff, uh, you get this power by making a sacrifice of yourself. And by getting this um, ritual magic or this demonic magic or this whatever I'm calling the other one, um, you have to um, actually prey upon someone else and so use someone else um, as the resource to get the power uh, and so that kind of builds in this idea of badness but maybe we get some dexter-like characters who just go around and <laughs> use yeah. bad people perhaps to, to get their powers um, and maybe we even have some bad people who draw power from themselves in order to do yeah. other people right so it doesn't mm -hmm. have to line up with Good and evil. Yeah, I could see uh, like execution. a ranger type of person who just goes and like defeats bad wizards and sure. is really powerful because of that. In fact, I'd like to play that character. I'm just saying. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so um, there will be magic. Um, I think this idea that there are characters who can do things larger than life uh, is an awesome idea. Um, but like dragons, not so common. Uh, more common than dragons, for sure, but not so common. Magic, you're saying, is more common than dragons? Yes, that's my thought. That's a good thought. Okay. All right. So now we move to the part of the podcast where we make our pitch. And I've sort of been talking about some of the ideas already. Mm -hmm. But I want to—I do want to take this time to give some you know, props, as they say, to uh, <laughs> the, those inspirations um, that I'm clearly drawing from um, in you know, working through this setting. Um, and one of those is J.R.R. Tolkien's work. Um, so um, I've been up front about my... Uh, I guess love for the system for sure mm -hmm. um, and I do have a love for the world um, and I like the book The Hobbit and then I've read some of his other stuff and although I, I teach mythology and I love the, the mythical components to it 
Um, I just I found the Lord of the Rings trilogy just increasingly difficult to get through. I read parts of the Silmarillion, and it's just I mean, it's just not good, not not a fun read. It's like yeah. writing, right? Like in that sense, is it? It's not the world that's the problem. It's just it's not at all. Yeah, it's it's the writing, and yeah. Yeah, and and it's not as if I. Uh, it's not as if it's just. Uh, the complexity of the language it's a needless complexity yeah uh, because one of the other inspirations that, I, that i'm thinking about is robert e howard who wrote uh, conan and some other famous characters um but robert e howard's work is definitely descriptive tremendously descriptive uh but it never bothers me in the way that uh, tolkien's work does so may, maybe the, the difference is what they're describing so tolkien uh, might be describing a dish <laughs> that's true. Yeah, okay, that's absolutely fair. And maybe Robert E. Howard is describing um, a guy's muscle, and maybe that's more interesting to me. Uh, so maybe that's just my personal... Maybe that, that says something about you, just, just by the way, but continue. Uh, so um, my experiences playing Middle-earth role-playing, um, I, I think those, they, those have left a mark on me. And so uh, I like uh, the expansiveness of the world. It's absolutely something I want in there. Um, I like the uh, the idea that there's this kind of familiarity of the world. And so coming up with a way to make this world familiar to people is a tremendous challenge. So when we talk about authenticity and familiarity, um, that's something that we're trying to do. Um, and Victoria's going to talk a little bit about um, some things that she thinks accomplishes that task pretty well. And then I'll talk about how I sort of plan to address it and taking some uh, cue from Tolkien. So you want to talk about? Yeah. So um, I personally, like, I like high fantasy, but it's not my favorite, you know, setting. Like, I don't, I don't go after every single high fantasy, like, story out there. Um, mostly because it's really hard to get something that feels both authentic and high fantasy but it also has um like new interesting intriguing um elements to it. it you either start getting away um further and further from high fantasy or you're following things that have been pretty much well established especially by J.R.R. Tolkien like he's sort of set the baseline and for most people if it's not that it's you know getting further and further away from high fantasy um, and especially, like, so one of my favorite, you know, um, RPG settings is um, Fallout 3 and 4 especially uh, because there's so many elements to it that it becomes sort of an, an original story even though it's got very um, heavy influence from the 1950s and that sort of Cold War, nuclear war um, uh, scare. Um, and so even though it is a wasteland, it still has the 1950s feeling, especially with the music. And there's a lot of things, the visuals, the, the music, the, the language, the characters you come across that have um, the authenticity that, that make it both an apocalypse and the 1940s, 50s, 60s. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um... Yeah, so I want to give a shout-out to Wasteland. Um, it was one of the computer games that uh, Scott, uh, my uncle, whom I mentioned in the last uh, podcast, um, that was one of the earliest games that we started playing, so Might and Magic uh, and Wasteland. And so I got into uh, what would... Wasteland is what would become uh, Fallout, so I'm a huge fan of that game, too. Um, I've beaten 
played and beaten most of those games, but really fun. So it and it is an amazingly um, authentic world. And mm -hmm. part of the reason why is I think because it's drawing from things that are so familiar to us. Mm -hmm. Um, and also now there's this long history. I mean, I think Wasteland was like I, I, 84, 85, I don't know, 87, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, so it's been around for like 30 years uh, with a history. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, that history and that familiarity really help it. And so um, with each uh, setting that we're working on, with each uh, campaign setting that we come up with, um, we're going to put out some short stories. Uh, and so um, the... I don't know the number yet, but uh, I've got three that are about written right now, um, and so you can check them out. They're very specific to what's going on in the um, the kind of quest, the I guess the meta arc of the quest um, that people will be facing if they do the uh, Blood of Heroes campaign. Uh, so um, there's a story about um, this king and his final days on Earth, or final minutes, I guess, on Earth. Mm -hmm. um, so check that out. Uh, that was definitely inspired by Robert E. Howard. Um, so um, we'll have some links. Maybe we'll give you a snippet of that one that you can check out in the show notes. Um, and then you'll be able to check out the others eventually. We'll let you know when all that stuff becomes available. Mm -hmm. um, and so the thought, again, is to kind of build up an aesthetic to associate it with, like, this is the world. So uh, people could uh, read this before they play and think, I mean, well, what, what, what am I getting myself into? Yeah, how is this different from, like, is this generic or, like, what are, what are the specific flavors of the world themselves? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so uh, that's the, the kind of general feel from Tolkien is this, like, expansiveness of the world. Um, this thought that uh, something that I felt in Middle Earth more than I ever felt in D&D &D was this kind of dread that there were creatures out there that were so tremendously powerful that they could they could kill you in one hit and in part that was um, accomplished by the critical hit system we talked about that a little bit last time um, but it was also from knowing that there were these uh, Nazgul the ring rates um, it was also from knowing how powerful dragons were um, those things terrified us uh, even a troll terrified us in Middle-earth role-playing as we're in D&D &D, at some point you just knew the game was the game was familiar as opposed to the setting, right? And when the game is tremendously familiar, you can very quickly weigh everything up and think, oh, this troll, well, he really can't kill me. Yeah, I know <laughs> I know how to get around yeah. what he can do to hurt me yes. and how to best hurt him. Yeah, I catch mm -hmm. it. Um, and so although, and what, so what was very cool about Middle Earth was knowing, um, I know a lot about this world and I know enough about this world to know um, if I run into a troll, it could destroy me pretty easily uh, and so and that, that was a kind of cool feeling to have a kind of vulnerability that I think is sometimes fun in an RPG um, and in D&D &D, the more familiar you are again not with the setting but with the system and how the the rules work um, that kind of mystique is taken away and that's a shame mm -hmm. so uh, that's a, it's a tough balancing act it really but that's is. the task that we're working on so the authenticity the familiarity with the world without getting the familiarity with the stats of everything yeah right? how to you know, work around the things that kind of make it cool, if that makes any sense. Because mm -hmm. you want to win the game, not, you know, enjoy the story. Yeah. Which is hard, you know, not to do. Like, there's nothing against wanting to win the game, but there is something to be said for just sort of enjoying the process versus, you know, being the best, you know, ranger, half-elf you can be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, so the next um, inspiration uh, for the game is Rome, specifically Republican Rome. Um, and that's in part because of my studies and what I what I do. I, I mean, I am a 
humanities professor, and I do teach uh, Greek and Roman humanities, um, and I studied classics uh, in grad school, and I do, and I have a PhD in philosophy, uh, and, and my focus is on ancient philosophy. So it's not just that I think this stuff is cool. I think it's cool enough to insert in a game in an interesting way. And so um, from, from Republican Rome, uh, I like the idea of the, the factions, um, and I like the idea of local flavor that you can get from thinking about what's going on in Rome, what's going on in the colonies, um, so numismatics, like the different monies that people use, um, different governmental structures that people use, um, just the fact that even if you have one giant uh, empire, right, uh, roughly, right, mm -hmm. one giant kind of public thing uh, governed by one government allegedly, um, you can still have these factions creeping up. Um, and so um, if you are a fan of Roman history, uh, be on the lookout for some, uh, I guess, Easter eggs, right? So yeah. some of those things might be appearing in there. Uh, yeah. Julius Caesar, <laughs> Easter egg. <laughs> maybe, no. maybe he's in there, right? So we'll see. Um, but look for some of the same, uh, look for some vaguely Latin-y words <laughs> and maybe some ancient Greek-y words too. Uh, Hopefully like, not Harry Potter yeah. Latin, right? Like, no, like real-ish Latin. Real Latin, okay. Yeah, real Latin. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, um, and then um, another, uh, I, I just want to talk about two authors quick, and one of them is one I mentioned earlier, so Robert E. Howard. Um, that is my favorite fantasy writer, um, and I, I mean, my personal preference is for Howard over Tolkien, um, but what Howard brings is that level of grittiness uh, that works so well I think in an RPG. So if you, you know, so Tolkien has this idea that even an everyday person uh, could get swept up into um, a world-changing event, and I like that level of elevation. Uh, but what Robert E. Howard often does is have a character who's like a king thrown into mundane problems. Uh, I mean, he solves them all with his sword, but <laughs> but, but the idea uh, is that uh, even even a king isn't isn't done dealing with problems. Uh, and so I, I like both those ideas working, right? So um, could I be part of this thing that uh, shapes the history of the world? Sure, yeah, you could do that. And I take it that's why some people play a fantasy RPG. Um, but also, is, is there this level of grittiness um, such that like even if I make it to where I have a giant army and I'm level 20 or whatever you are, um, could we be killed? Yeah. So then, and could it all end? Yes, it it could. It, and especially if if that's fun for your group, then that's something that should be a, a real possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, if that's fun for your group, not yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and the other um character or the other um author I want to talk about is uh, Mickey Zucker Reichert, and this is maybe the least well known of these things that I'm talking about today. Uh, but she wrote a trilogy uh, called the the Renshai trilogy, which was about a I, I don't want to spoil too much, uh, but it was about a barbarian who shuns um, magic, but then kind of becomes a magician or, or a magic user, sorcerer. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I thought that was really cool, and and that's how I was introduced to her writing. Uh, but it's actually the idea of um, a, the story of Nightfall. He's a thief who has this sorcery skill. He has a talent. Um, and it's it's the way that uh, Mickey Zucker Riker um, handles magic in her world that I think is really cool. And this isn't exactly how she does it, but but I like the idea of somehow uh, magic is housed um, in the blood, uh, maybe in the spirit. That's sort of how she does it in the soul. Um, and you have to either give up something or take something. In her world, I think it was always taking. 
Um, but in this world, you either have to give up something or you have to take something in order to get that magic. And so it makes, it, it, it builds like a taboo into magic, right? So mm -hmm. if you're doing this thing with magic, people know that you're, you're doing something either very selfless or very selfish. And so one way or the other, you, you sort of make yourself an extremist by being a magic user. Um, and so I like that idea. And that's something that we're going to uh, build into the game, right? So the way, the prevalence, the relative disprevalence uh, of magic um, and the, uh, the sort of feel of magic. Not everyone's going around saying, look at me, I'm a magician, uh, because that would be the sort of put yourself um, out there in harm's way. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. And at this point uh, in the podcast, we move on to hack and slash. Okay, let's start a new one, Jeez. Yeah, we've got to maybe cut some of that stuff in the beginning. Yeah. Okay, so we're back to hack and slash. And in hack and slash, um, we do some troubleshooting, right? So uh, to try to come up with some potential uh, pitfalls and maybe to anticipate them and forestall them the best we can. Um, so we've talked through uh, this Blood of Heroes fantasy setting. Uh, what do you see as some uh, one major problem or pitfall, potential, potential problem? Specifically with the... Um the blood of heroes uh fantasy generally fantasy generally yeah. i mean it is uh so you've got some cool um background elements like roman empire i think is a pretty unique because uh, that's not typically like where the the historical basis for high fantasy is it's more the middle um what what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Mesopotamia? No, 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 no. Uh, medieval. It's more oh. medieval, um, okay. generally, uh, mm -hmm. historically. So I think that that could be really cool um, as far as adding something that is authentic because you know so much about Roman history and stuff like that, um, but adding a new level of intrigue and a way to sort of delineate it from the rest of high fantasy but still keeping the elements that I could potentially see, like magic, user, mm -hmm. sword, and sorcery, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, in in the in the setting. So I that that is one thing that you know it's my sort of biggest problem with most fantasy is that it it tends to feel a bit contrived or sure. um, rehashed, and I think that you've kind of addressed that in an interesting way with the the Roman Empire um, as your 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 historical basis mm -hmm. and that's why we pay you to say nice things like that yeah exactly <laughs> now um well good um so I, I i'll see that as a, a victory at least yeah um i i do think that um the the main challenge is to if we're talking about i've made this setting and you say what type of set what's the genre and you say it's a fantasy setting we immediately have we have we have that that has to convey something about the setting yeah um and so the challenge becomes um, how do we keep it something that people would recognize as fantasy uh, without making it just, uh, this is Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, maybe we can start to accomplish that with some of those other uh, considerations. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, any other, let's see, um, any other potential problems that we might run into uh, we should be on the lookout for? Um. So you've got like an overall basis for magic, but uh, mm -hmm. have you have you given much thought to like the 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 rules for magic? Like, so what you need to complete magic versus mm -hmm. like, so I've got some weird expectations for magic in that I think 
magic should be a little more freeform than it is, especially in D&D. I feel mm-hmm. like D&D is pretty restrictive about what you can mm-hmm. and can't do. Um, right. And I feel like if there's a world where it's possible to, you know, perform that, it, it's probably more, like, just as likely to alter that spell in a little way. Like, sure. people will experiment with what is possible mm-hmm. with magic. But because of the rule set, you don't get that effectively in a, in the story as a player. Yeah, so let's. So um, I'm focusing on the the setting components, uh, and so thinking about what magic feels like and how it's perceived. I gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. The there's a reason why I'm putting magic off until I think S. So when we get to S for spell, it's going to be a long time off. Okay, uh, I gotcha. Magic is always one of the most difficult things to deal with in a setting, uh, but I will say that one of the inspirations that we're going to look at when we get to that point is going to be. Um, I think it's called magic. Is that the is that what it's called? Um, there's a, um, huh, I'm not sure what the name of this RPG is. I'll figure it out and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, not the card game. Um, there was this um, magic system that essentially combines components. So um, there's like a, say like a mode and an object that all spells have. And so I, I, I'm just remembering, this is from a long time ago, um, that there's a spell. So uh, creo, which means I create. Uh, so you, you create something and, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like, uh, you know, um, flamum or something like that, or aquam, like I create water, um, Mm -hmm. and that's a spell. So you combine the, the, the mode with the object or the target, and then you, depending how many points you want to pump into that spell, that determines how big it's going to be and what it's going to do and something like that. So Mm -hmm. I'm a, a big fan of the, the not set spell descriptions. Uh, but you combine things in some way and make them happen. So, gotcha. Yeah, so something like that. Uh, for what it's worth, um, magic in Middle-earth role-playing is insanely complicated. Yeah. Um, but there are, are spell lists in that as well. Uh, so, and, that, and that's the kind of level of restrictiveness of it. Yeah. Um, Might have been putting the cart in front of the horse a bit, but I feel like that that also really adds to the feel of magic. Is absolutely. how it, you know, so. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think that um, that idea of um, as soon as you hear something about a fantasy game that sounds remotely interesting, um, we want to know a lot more about it, like a lot more than anyone could have thought about. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's impossible this, to lay out every single possibility. Yeah. yeah so this is a kind of um, build as you go. And one of the helpful things that I think um, that we can do as we're working through this show is see some of those things that we need to work on, like the there's going to be an interesting thing that pops up over here. What do we want to say about uh, magic? Um, and, and I think that that's a role for people who are listening uh, to play as well. So um, if you have uh, thoughts, other systems that uh, handle some things well uh, that you think are worth uh, our time, let us know. We'll take a look at it. Um, if you have thoughts yourselves, let us know. Um, always interested in that. Um, and if you want to do some extra hack and slash uh, and tell us um, how we're messing up, that's okay. Um, we are happy to uh, listen and uh, learn. Um, anything else? Um, no, I think we pretty much covered it specifically about setting an atmosphere. I mean, yeah. I've definitely got more questions about, like you just said, like the things that you can't possibly have thought of yet because we're only on letter B and you've only been thinking about this for maybe a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. So. True. So then, um, I guess we'll end. Um, so this is, uh, this has been... B, Blood of Heroes. 
Um, and so now is probably a good time for us to let you know that we have some things that you might want to do. Like you might want to uh, sign up for our newsletter, which is or for our mailing list, which will eventually become a newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that should be linked in the show notes. Um, you can check out our Twitter. That's about all we have right now. But we have some more social media stuff coming. The Twitter handle is at Dungeon Chatter, one word. Um, so hit us up there. Send us some notes. We'll be posting that in the near future. Uh, and by the time this show is posted, we should have that, uh, everything, all of our social media ready to roll. Um, any, anything else on that front? Not that I can think of yet. Not that I know for sure. Okay. Um, and so we'll be back next time with C. C is for character creation. Character creation. Character <laughs> you you, you <laughs> jumped I, me. I, I thought you were going to throw it to me, and then you just ran with it. Whatever. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay. Um, and so this is the letter B. Blood is for heroes. Uh, blood, blood, of, <laughs> blood of heroes. Blood is for blood heroes. Blood is for heroes. I'm thinking of, um, there's a, I think it's a Stanley Kubrick film called um, Hell is for Heroes. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good one. So I do like it. Blood is for Heroes. Like, are you a hero? No, you don't get any blood. <laughs> You. No blood for you. You're just a, uh, like dry husk. Coffee is for closers and blood is for heroes. Uh-huh. Um, so, all right. So um, this has been Travis. Victoria. And this is Dungeon Chatter. there thanks for sticking around for our second episode if you want more dungeon chatter please check us out at dungeonchatter.com or follow us on twitter at, at @dungeonchatter. travis is normally tweeting about dragons because he loves fighting dragons and thinks everyone should punch a dragon so you should go tell him to chill it on the dragons maybe and if you liked our show it'd be super cool if you left a review on itunes and told your friends who are also into rpg stuff we'd appreciate it our next episode c's for character creation is probably out now Hopefully you didn't just skip ahead almost two hours of content just to prove me a liar, so episode three should already be out. So yeah, thanks for listening, and don't forget to feed your rocks.